team training at Keystone Lodge in Keystone, Colorado. I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair. Next in our Meet the Team series, we're chatting with Jim Shaw. Jim, it is great to see you again. It's great to be here, George. I think it's been two years. I think two years, yeah. And first time making the national team? No, second time, actually. Second time. And I took a, well, I took a time off in between. But that wasn't, uh, I did try out, but I didn't make it one time, so made it once, didn't make it the second time, came back and did it again. So what made you go, ah, uh, the heck with that then? Why did you want to come back and do it again? Uh, to put it simply, I wasn't done. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's like, no, I want to come back and do this again. I still have a lot of things that I'd like to, you know, I'd like to accomplish and I'd like to do. And, um, so here I am again. What was it like going through tryouts? Were you more nervous this time than you were the first go around? Uh, or were you feeling pretty confident? No, I was nervous the second time and I wasn't nervous the first and third time. Oh, you weren't? <laughs> Both times that I made it, I wasn't nervous at all. Um, it was it was just, it was one of those pieces where, you know, the first time around, it was just a matter of saying, I'm not coming to the end of my career without giving it a shot. It's like, let's just see how far we can take this. And so when you heard your name called, were you, I mean, not to make you sound like, oh yeah, but were you not that surprised? Were you thinking, oh, no. yeah, oh, oh you no. were. I was surprised. The reason I wasn't nervous wasn't because I thought I'd make it. The reason I wasn't nervous is because I, I'm like anybody. I come and I, I want to make it. You know, I want to do my best. But the, when I came this past time around, I came and did what I wanted to do and performed the way I wanted to perform. And that's, you know, we've, we've had a lot of conversations, not you and I, but on the, on the team about encouraging people to come and try out and do this and, and set those goals. And so one of the pieces is, as you set those goals, is come and do your best, train for it and do your best. You know, all the, it's not easy to answer the question about exactly what does it take to make a team member. Uh, so I did my best and I was happy about that. And actually, I was completely surprised they called my name. <laughs> You know, it's funny, I've gotten that way in racing as I've matured, but it's like if I train my hardest and I'm out there and I do the absolute best I can and you beat me, I can walk up and shake your hand and say, great job, because I did my best and you still beat me. That's great. Well, that's ex that's exactly how I felt. And I looked at the other people that tried out and I said, you know, if, if they did a job and, and the way they performed was what they were looking for, then you should take them. Were there any parts this year that you found, or in this tryout, that you found more difficult than in the past? Or were there any that maybe you found a little easier? Um, you know what? No, to be honest with you, you know, the, the, the second time around, I think I put pressure on myself, which didn't help me any. Uh, but like I said, I was less nervous the first and third time, so not being nervous sort of seemed to help. Uh, the, the thing that made it easier was, was trying to not put that pressure on myself to, to win, if you will, but just to put the pressure on myself. The competition was with me. I just wanted to come and do the best I can. And so you know, it, it's kind of an interesting thing. I've, been talk, I've talked about this a couple times in the last few days. You know, but the, the week before I came to tryouts, we had some powder skiing back in Winter Park where I live. And I mean, I had a run where I argued in face first five times in one run. 
But that was one of the best things I could have done because it, it, it helped me to recognize, okay, here's the line. This is how hard you can push and how fast you can go and what you can do. And if I know where the line is, then I know how to push myself to the line without falling over the, you know, falling over the line. And so I did a lot of that. And this time I came and I did what I wanted to do. And, you know, sure, there's always, no one's ever going to perform perfectly every single thing that you do, right? But I had a really good idea. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had a really good idea of, of how far I could push, how hard I could push. I knew where my strengths were and, you know, where my challenges were. And so I came and did what I wanted to do. And, you know, this was the result, but it wasn't the result I was after. It was I was after trying to do a good job and, and do what I knew how to do. That's great. Now, do you have a coach or someone you work with, or are you do you really drive yourself? Are you self-driven? It's pretty self-driven for me. Uh, sometimes, and that's another piece. You know, the, there, there. Some people, maybe some people need need to be coached more. Uh, but I. I'm self-driven, and I, I do listen to coaches. I'm not by any means saying that I don't listen to the, you know, the, the people in my life. And, and having been on the team before, it's like I know most of these guys already. And I get a chance to ski with them. I stayed very involved. I stayed very involved all the way through my the, the term when I wasn't there. And I'm also the, you know, I'm on the, I'm an Alpine examiner, and I'm on the Alpine committee in the Rocky Mountain. And I'm also the chair of the telemark committee. Oh, so I'm pretty. Yeah, there's maybe one more thing I can take on in my life, but I haven't figured out what it is yet. Uh, but I, I do pay attention to the coaches. But you also have to know yourself. You have to figure out. You know, when the coach asks you to do something, is this working for you? And that's so I'm kind of self-driven along those lines. You know, they, there's a saying that says, you know, there's three things you can do with feedback. You know, when you get it, is uh, you can take it, and use it. Right? You can save it for later, or you can just crumple it up and throw it in the trash can and call it good. All right, but it's just feedback, you know, and it's just a, it's an idea of what you like to do. And so that's what I take from from coaches. It's like don't take it personally because they tell you to do something. They're just trying to help. What are you most looking forward to in this term? You said you you weren't done yet. Oh, what do you feel like you need to do? <laughs> it's it's funny because I know the answer to the question and. I guess it hasn't yet been determined whether this is inside or outside the scope of the job. So uh, Greg Dixon and Keith Rodney, the other two guys on the team with me on the telemark piece of it, you know, and, and as a lot of people recognize, you know, telemark is not the, uh, it's not the, you know, the sport that's practiced by most people on the mountain. But there are, I mean, the last the last statistic that I saw, there's still two and a half million telemarkers in the United States. I know most people roll their eyes as you just did. <laughs> and go, whoa, you know, or open their eyes. I shouldn't say roll your eyes, open your eyes, well, really? And I go, yeah, and if you go to you go to telemark equipment manufacturers right now, you'll find that they're selling out every year. Things are changing, you know, there's a new telemark that goes into this. I mean, a different kind of, my, my skis, or my skis they put on step-in bindings with brakes. I skied with I skied with uh, bindings today that were step-in bindings, but they had uh, they had uh, leashes on them, you know, so that they fall off your feet. You know, to be follow the ski responsibility code and so on. And it's like I am so over this bending over thing to put on leashes. I want to step in with brakes just like I do with my alpine skis. And that's how telemark is these days. You can step in bindings with brakes, and I sincerely believe. That there are more people out there that we are interested in doing this than we know. But that, 
You know, the, the ski resorts don't really offer a lot of opportunity for that. Rentals are hard to come by. Demos are hard to come by. There's opportunities. I actually have, I don't know who's going to listen to your podcast. I mean, I, not that they won't. You know, it could be a lot of people, but I don't know who those people are. Right? Members, I guess. All right? I actually own about uh, a dozen pair of Telemark skis and probably 15 pairs of boots in every size you can imagine. And I do that just to put people into equipment. And so, yeah. You know, it was an investment on my part, and uh, I did that because I think that there's people that will like that. So you asked me, what do I look forward to in this time on the team? My, my personal goal is to open up opportunity for more people. And that may be, at times, giving, you know, going to National Academy or giving clinics to members or working in the Rocky Mountain Division in the Telemark area. Uh, but the other part is I have a personal goal of getting to every Telemark festival I can. Right? And I haven't, you know, so uh, you and I talked prior to when you put us on the air and, yep. and said something, and I opened my jacket and showed you. It's like I have a Seven Springs, Seven Springs, Pennsylvania jacket on or shirt on right now. And I, you know, it's like, why are you going from Winter Park, Colorado to, they say it's 700 vertical feet. I'm going, yeah, I'm not so sure. <laughs> All right, but why are you going there? It's like, because they have this Telemark Festival, and I want to go to the Telemark Festival. Right? And, and I know that there's more of those. You know, last year I went down to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and went to the Tony Forest Telemark Festival or Telemark uh, Workshop. Like that's been running. No, I didn't go last year because it was a COVID year, and I'm hoping it's going to take place this year. But that's been going on for 32 years. Right? There's there's a, a Tele Festivus, you know, Tele Festivus for the rest of us. That kind of deal, you know, if you like the Seinfeld play, and that takes place in Monarch. You know, and that's uh, that's kind of a one-day festival with free clinics and demos and all kinds of stuff goes on. And you know, they'll get a hundred telemarkers to show up to that that deal. Tony Forest Clinic last last time around had about forty-five. When I went to Seven Springs five years ago, uh, it had taken a turn because of various things, not just the not it had nothing to do with the lack of, uh, of telemark participation. But it had gone. They had about sixty people, and then it dropped down. And all of a sudden, they had five. You know, and I won't spend a lot of time talking about why I went to five, but it took some management changes and all kinds of different stuff and support changes. And um, But the last time I went back, last year I went down, and it was back up to 25, you know, and it's growing. I mean, it's growing, and people are coming. You know, and, and we've got a couple national team members to go, and I remember when I first, you know, I, I, I first uh, suggested the idea to one of the guys that, that I met at, uh, out at Snowbird, Telemark. You know, and I mentioned to him, I said, really, you got a festival? said, can I come? And they looked at me and said, you would come? And I go, oh, yeah, absolutely. So anybody that's listening to your podcast, you want to invite me to your Telemark Festival? I want to come. <laughs> and I don't care if you have 200 vertical feet. I don't care if you have 2,000 vertical feet. It doesn't make any difference to me. I don't care where you are. That's, you know, the hardest skiing takes place a lot of times at those little tiny places. So that's that's my goal is to, is to you know, spread the love, so to speak. Your enthusiasm for telly is just huge. <laughs> what did you start out alpine skiing? Oh yeah, absolutely. How did you get into it? What was the draw? <laughs> and it, was it a festival? <laughs> well, no, it was not. Um, no, I lost a bet. <laughs> no, it was. Uh, what's What's funny is I, I kind of started out as an alpine skier, so I had rigid sole boots, you know. But I started skiing back in the '60s, and so what did you have? It's like I had cable binders, you know, with a toe piece, and so, you know, as I'm sure. A lot of people, maybe you would understand that. I was, I was close. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had cable binding, so the only reason that cable held my boots down was because of the little clips on the side of the cable, you know. But otherwise, my heels would have come up. But it wasn't telemarking. And then 
probably sometime back in the 1995 or something like that, uh, a friend of mine talked me into it. I said, hey, if you do this, I'll do that, and you do this, and kind of thing like that. And he's another ski instructor. And so he got me telemarking, and I started to do it. And, you know, maybe, oh, I don't know, 20, 30 times the first year. And then I went to a certification exam. I think I went to the cert for my first year. I went to uh, level two, which I was allowed to transfer over. I was already an Alpine trainer. You know, I, had, I wasn't yet an examiner at staff, but uh, so I went to the, the Telmark um, certification exam, you know, and then uh, I waited two years and I went to the level three exam, you know, and kept doing it. And I still to this day, I'll tell you, I squeaked by the level three exam. I still can't believe they passed me. <laughs> I was a pretty experienced teacher. I mean, I've been teaching for, you know, close to 20 years. So the, the teaching part and the technical part were easy, but I was still trying to work on my skiing. But I started, you know, I was out. 50 days a year, start to do it, and just practice whenever I could. That's kind of how it steam steamrolled into, or snowballed into, you know, into me doing more. And then it was one of those deals. I mean, why do you, people are all the time, uh, I want you to know when I say these things, because I, I realize this is, a, this is a podcast, so I, you can't see the smile on my face when I say it. But uh, You can hear it, though. Yeah, I know. I hope you can hear it. <laughs> you can. You know, telemarketing is stupid, right? <laughs> And there's bumper stickers out there. Nobody cares that you telemarket, all kinds of stuff like that. And sure, there's a lot of reasons. And I've written, I've written some uh, some pieces for both 32 Degrees and for the Rocky Mountain Instructor to Instructor stuff about why people do it. And some people do it to enhance their alpine. And some people do it, you know, because it's uh, it's sort of anti-establishment kind of stuff. It's a little different than the usual, you know. And I would tell you that I. I I did it maybe a little bit for those reasons and a little bit for the workout. You know, it is it is physically demanding on your legs to some degree. You know, the mountain's a little bigger place, but the bottom line is it, it's soft and it flows and it's beautiful and I love it. And I do it because I like it. That's why I do it. <laughs> so, so question I'm asking everybody, except Zeke Fashion Bomber. <laughs> fashion Bomber. <laughs> uh, tell us a little, maybe something about you that we don't know. Well, that's pretty funny. Um, what, what don't you know that I'm allowed to tell you on a, on a podcast? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, tell us something no more than R-rated that we don't know. <laughs> uh, that you don't know. All right, here's a, here's a simple, a simple thing about me. So this started all the way back when I was 16 years old. Um, I collect old beer cans. <laughs> it's as simple as that. And I have, uh, you know how when you get a beer can, they have little pop tops on them, right? The aluminum cans. So, yeah, the newest beer can in my collection, and I own about, oh, I don't know, 250. And I haven't really checked on the price, but some of those some of those cans are probably worth more than $1,000 a piece. And they're empty, you know, for those of you thinking, oh, that must be good beer. It's like, no, there's no beer in them. But there's cans in there from, the, I think the oldest one I have is late 1930s. Wow. So it's getting close to 100 years old. Um, cans that look like cone tops, they're similar shape to the... You know the Coors Stubby bottle, um, but I started doing that a long time ago, and it's it's a pretty casual interest for me right now. But I still can't, you know, if I walk into an old barn or somebody lets me in this house that was built in 1910, and I get to crawl around in the attic or the basement, oh, I'm looking, looking for cans. Oh, I'm still I'm still looking. I have two Billy Beer cans. Yeah, they're not old enough <laughs> to keep me happy. There's a lot of hype around the Billy Beer stuff, but you won't run into a lot of. Um, breweries that I haven't heard of. New breweries, yes. But if you go if you go back to when I started doing it, I started in the 1970s. Wow. You know, late 70s. Um, 
I started doing that. So most people don't know that, but this is also one of the benefits of the podcast because someone will send me an email now and go, hey, I got this really cool can if you want it. <laughs> so that's how I can come by some of them. Jim, anything you want to say in conclusion? Uh, about the only thing that I would add is just that enthusiasm for telemarketing. You know, there's a word in Miller's statement about this that says, you know, telemarketing, and he doesn't actually say telemarketing, but telemarketing is like, you might as well try it now or you're just going to be another year older than you do. <laughs> so I would in, I would encourage people to do it, you know, and don't don't look at it as though it's a, a throwback. You know, it's, uh, there's, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing different about it. You know, I mean, it's just it's just a different way, and with uh, with the new town bar norm and the, and the step in bindings, it's the kind of deal where it's like bending down and putting on your skis and all the other pieces that go with it that kind of turn people off to telemarketing. It's not there anymore. You know, it's not there. It's a step in sport, and don't kid yourself. You can still fall on your face. Like the heels will let you go. <laughs> all right, but it, it's fun, and all your joints are in activation. You know, so. You know, if I were to stand on the table, and I, you don't even have to telemark to know this. If I were to get up on top of a table and I said, would you like to have your Alpine boots on or your telemark boots off when you jump when you jump off the table? And even people that don't telemark know the answer to that question. I imagine it's telemark boots. Oh, yeah. I'd rather, have the ones, I'd rather have the ones that bend and move a little bit. That's what telemark is. Right? It's, uh, you know, it's different than Alpine skiing, but it's just skiing. All my skis, my skis and telemark, my skis and Alpine are the same skis. You know, so when people look at me and go, oh, you're telemarketing. It's like, just can't. Jim, it's been great catching up with you. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with you. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Team training at the Keystone Lodge in Keystone, Colorado. I'm George oh, yeah. Thomas. <laughs>